0: Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. Hey guys, so we're now doing Class 4, Session 2. We just looked at some of the definition of Um, what an emotional behavioral disorder is, and we were looking at those dimensions that kind of help us decide if something is disturbed. So we're now going to look at classification. All right, as we mentioned, when we diagnose an emotional behavioral disorder, we do have to observe um, the behavior. We're still running that functional behavior analysis or applied behavior analysis that we mentioned when we were looking at ADHD. And we're still gonna look at those ABCs of behavior. We do want to do this over a long period of time. We don't want to do just a one-time observation here, um, because again, we're trying to see if these are patterns. We go into different settings, just like we do with ADHD. We want to make sure this is not just a, you know, that example I gave you last time, a math class problem, um, just because that material is difficult for us. And kids who really are struggling with this, they're gonna have this characteristics of problems everywhere they go. Um, So you will see it in a lot of different settings. When we break down our disordered behavior, we're gonna find that um, there's really two huge dimensions of disorders. Um, Kids typically fall into one of those categories and usually not into both. All right. First, we're going to look at externalizing behavior. This is when, now these are the easier to spot kids too. This is when a kid is going to take their behavior and um, every emotion that they have is pushed out onto the external world. And so you're going to know that this kid is upset, and you know, a couple examples of externalizing behavior, I think I'm asking y'all in one of the questions to think of some more, so just I'm going to give you a couple of them. Um, If I hit somebody, all right, I am taking this behavior, and I'm taking it externally, and I'm taking it out on you, all right, and so I'm going to hit you. Um, I might scream at you, all right, and that would be another externalizing type of behavior. Other kids are going to hold everything in. Right, they're upset. Remember, these are possibly emotional issues and their behavior um, of how to deal with these emotions is going to be directed at themselves, all right? not out at the world. And so you're seeing things like depression. Um, You may see eating disorders where we are starving ourselves as a way of coping with some of the emotions that we are dealing with and crying might be another one. So you've got a lot of different types of um, behaviors um, that can go under externalizing and that can go under internalizing. You can see, though, why the externalizing ones would be more likely to be spotted. I mean, they're very big, and they're taking it out on others, and we can really hardly miss that. We many times miss some of these children who have internalizing-type behavior because they're just quiet children a lot of times. And, you know, in a classroom setting, that's kind of what we want them to do. Um, So we really do need to keep an, an eye out. Anybody who's working with children needs to kind of keep a good watch um, for these children who are internalizing, because these are our potential suicide children later on, um, particularly if they, you know, are manifesting a lot of depression, um, that is something that we really need to watch on. And they occasionally may, you know, kind of have a a breakthrough moment and become externalizing in a, kind of a bad way. Um, If we have two or more conditions in the same individual, we call this comorbidity. Um, Note this could be that they would have the behavioral disorders and they might have some problems with some other disorder as well. All right, early intervention is really helpful when we're working with um, children who have these issues. So obviously we got to identify them um, when they are under a certain age and we're looking for different kinds of things. Some of these kids are going to stand out fairly early on, um, particularly a really sad child or one who's very aggressive. We're going to spot those hopefully fairly soon. Um, But it's really challenging because, I mean, all of these kids, remember, are, you know, going to be very active and um, they don't have good motor control um, or good impulse control. Temper tantrums are very common with our little bitty kids and they're likely to haul off and punch somebody and they just, you know, haven't learned to control their impulses yet. So it is kind of tough for us to be sure, especially if they're under three. We work a lot, though, with just trying to prevent problems with, you know, trying to teach all of these kids um, what we expect in terms of behavior. We try to teach them about inside voices and outside voices, and, you know, we don't Uh, bite, and we don't hit, and, you know, we use words instead of our fist, and those kinds of things are what we are typically doing with all of our younger kids, just trying to teach them how to be socialized where they're acceptable in society. Um, We really need, uh, obviously, teachers to work with this age who understand behavior management, you know, appropriate ways um, to handle this kind of behavior, and obviously, it'd be great if the parents learn this too a lot of our parents are just hanging in there they really never had any training in um, consequences of behavior and they don't understand that they're setting some of this stuff up um, they're reinforcing some behavior they didn't mean to reinforce all right so for an example of that I watch this a lot when I go to some of the grocery stores and some of those mart stores, you know, and I'm out, and I'll see these parents, you know, the kid asks for something, that, you know, they've, they've got all that junk that's just right at the checkout line, right at the kid's eye level if they're sitting in a cart. And they'll say, you know, can I have that candy? And the parent will say, no. And they go, but can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, And the parent says, no, no, no. I mean, it's just this constant, you know, can I have it, can I, no. And we go through this for a while. All right, and then finally, the parent sort of goes, oh, all right, you can have it. All right, well, they don't realize this, but they just reinforced whining. All right, and then they wonder why they have a whining kid. All right, they gotta hold strong. It's hard to hold strong, but if they don't really understand behavior management, and you know, that you've got to make sure that you never reinforce this stuff, all right, then your kids are gonna learn to get in charge and the parents are gonna lose. All right, same thing with people who work with kids in any other capacity. So we do have to learn how to manage. Alright, um, but there's a lot of cost involved in that if we're gonna set up programs to help teach parents how to train um, in these behavior management skills. And obviously we have gotta have personnel who would be able to work with, um parents and teachers who don't understand all of these principles and that can be expensive and that makes it tough and a lot of these early intervention programs would rather focus in on speech issues and motor issues like physical problems um so here's another big issue is we don't always agree on what are the problems you know what one person says is a huge problem another person goes on that doesn't bother me Um, if the child does that. So we can't always agree on what we really need to be training our professionals in. So that's another issue that's a concern. All right, when we look at prevalence numbers, um, when we're talking about older kids, remember the little kids, remember there's not a good head count because they're not in school. But when we look at the six to 21 year old individuals, 2007 data gave us 472,384 who were diagnosed with emotional disturbance remember that's what our federal definition calls these behavior problems Um, and that was for 05-06 school years which was the latest data i could find for y'all um it is though very under identified there are more kids out there who really do have an emotional behavioral problem we school psychologists really don't like to give this diagnosis, and schools don't like to give this diagnosis because once you put this um, exceptionality out there, you get into problems with all of the discipline stuff you know you, you can't um expel a child who has this ruling it's you're basically saying they can't control their behavior and so you can't really throw them out of school when they did a behavior they can't control and it causes a lot of issues so you'll see that there are a lot of kids who probably should have a diagnosis and don't um our estimates right now are about six to ten percent of the school age population who actually have um the disability but don't necessarily that's not the numbers for the ruling Um, about 1% are actually identified. Um, And so you can see that we're probably missing somewhere between five and 9% of the kids who have problems with this. Um, those who we do identify usually fall into that externalizing category that we had talked about earlier. And I mentioned those are easier to spot. And that's why we usually get those kids. We are missing a lot of the kids who have the internalizing behavior and just, we don't notice a lot of that until it's really, you know, a severe problem. And they're out there and probably should be getting services and don't. Boys are gonna outnumber girls by a great number, five to one, and that's your externalizing, kind of aggressive type behaviors that um, they're typically more likely to engage in. Girls typically are a little bit on the quieter side. All right, so we're gonna look at some of the different models of how people look at this. These come about from a project called the Child Variance Project where we got professionals from various different fields together and tried to um, set up the major ways that people conceptualize these problems so that we could begin to have better communication with professionals from other fields. So psychodynamic is kind of tying back to psychoanalytic stuff from, from Sigmund Freud, and hopefully y'all touched on him in Gen Psych, and I know that in personality y'all will talk a little bit about um, Sigmund Freud, but remember he had the... Um, A concept that you've got the the components of a um, conscious mind and then you've got an unconscious mind and you've got that id and ego and super ego that are um, you've got your war going on between your id which is that selfish part of your personality and then you've got the super ego which is your conscience kind of telling you how to behave and they're at war Uh, Sort of like your little angel on one shoulder and your little devil on the other one. And your ego is you, and it's making the decisions between the two. So if you kind of follow this view, um, the the idea is that you've got a child who has a lot of issues um, that are unconscious. They're not aware of why they're acting out, and they're going to need the... The way you look at this sets up your your intervention. So your intervention in this view is usually to put the child into a long-term therapy. Um, A lot of play therapy would be done with the younger kids, and you would help them work through their issues in a therapy setting. There are others who prefer a different approach, don't like to emphasize the unconscious so much. um, Eric Erickson um, did a view of lifespan development where we work through crises at each age. And this is, um, his, his is psychosocial. Um, but when we take it into the school setting, it's usually referred to as psychoeducational. And here we're working um, with the concept that the child hasn't navigated those um, crises like trust versus mistrust and so forth through very well. And we are going to work with the child on those issues we do a lot of role-playing in this particular method helping the kid like he gets to play the teacher and you act out uh, what the student that that child acts like and you know, how would that person handle it and we do that type of thing uh, we try to de-stress their environment so that they can be more successful Another view um, is called the ecological view, and in this view, you look at the environment that the child is functioning in and look to see if it is the most um, uh, successful kind of environment that we can be. All right, so this is walking in, if it's a school setting, you're looking at the classroom and you're looking to see, is this the best layout in the classroom for the child? So an intervention here might be child sitting in the back of the room with a lot of people around them to talk to so we may just literally pick them up and move them to the front of the room right under the teacher's nose all right and that would be an intervention we've moved them in an environment which will make them function better um if the child has some adhd issues we may look at the walls and the ceilings and go we've got too much up to distract them and we take a lot of that down um, we may see a lot of the classrooms have, you know, four little desks together, one right beside you and two right across from you. And if you've got a talker, well, clearly looking right at another kid is going to, you know, be an antecedent for you to talk. And so we may need to get you seated to where you're not looking at anybody else. And so you're not sitting next to anybody else either. And you may find that that child will actually, you know, have some behavior problems that go away uh, because you've set it up um, in such a way that they can be more successful. The humanistic view has actually gotten really popular lately. Um, This one's a little tough uh, for me just because their worldview is so different from a a standard Christian worldview. Um, You know, the Christian worldview says that um, man is created in sin. We are um, in Adam's Um, descendants, we have, um, you know, come into the world sinful, and we're going to stay very sinful, all right, unless we are kind of trained how not to be sinful, and obviously Christ will um, help us overcome our sinful nature to at least a point, uh, and forgive us when we fail. This view, the, the philosophy is man is created good, and so obviously that's completely opposite and the goal is here that you would because you're created good you strive to do good and you strive to be the best That you can possibly be And your goal is to reach that self-actualization That would be the peak um, of performance for you All right, and this is actually beginning to permeate society a lot more and we're seeing some problems because of it um this view says you don't want to put too many restrictions on the kid because the reason they're not reaching their full potential is because we've put some checks on them and said you can't do that and then obviously they want to do it and we want to let them do whatever they choose. So when it comes to an educational setting, a lot this is a lot of um open classroom, kind of a if you want to go do math, there's a center over there, but if you don't like math, you don't have to go over there. You can come over here. And do something in science Um, and so we get a lot of issues here with um, kids not getting to do what they want to do so their way of looking at things is remove all restrictions on the kid you don't want to say you must do something we give them a lot of freedom and a lot of ability to do self-expression I don't personally buy that one obviously but you know it's out there Um, Some folks go more uh, with a biological, and I put a lot of names on here because you'll see them all. Uh, Some call it biogenic, some call it biomedical, some call it biochemical. This is your basic medical view um, that your psychiatrist will have that says if you've got a a behavior problem, then it is internal uh, neurotransmitter problem, hormonal problem. You may have self-caused it, you know, through drugs. And we're going to do, um, usually the treatment here is either drugs or you might do the um, um, electroconvulsive therapy, which we used to call shock therapy. That would be kind of their two big uh, treatments for that. And then we're going to look at the behavioral model, um, which is based on Sigmund Freud and says you learn all of your behaviors. And we'll do that in just a sec.